Uh, we've been in a series called uh, Kingdom Prep Academy. Um, prepare for heaven, flourish now. And, and this is a, a series on the Sermon on the Mount. It was a moment when Jesus actually, uh, it's kind of like pulls together all of the, the, the teachings that he, he regularly gave. Um, and, and what we found is that each one of these teachings is not necessarily designed to create this impossible standard that we can't meet. Really what um, Jesus is trying to do is give us some basic things, practical things that we can do so that we'll be the people who are, who are ready to live and thrive in heaven, to take ownership of heaven, and at the same time flourish now in this life. And as I've said every week, and we'll continue to say, flourishing now does not mean that you get the, uh, the four-by-four truck of your dreams, okay? Flour- flourishing now does not mean that you get the, 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 the TV screen that you think you deserve. It doesn't mean that you're freed from suffering. It doesn't mean that. What it means is that uh, every person has been designed um, to, to love God and to be in communion with God. And these are the practices that transform our hearts so that we actually do that. And so with that, I'd like to introduce um, one of Jesus' most radical teachings, one of his most famous teachings, and that is um, the love of the enemy. I think what we're going to find out is that it's actually uh, maybe a little different than what we thought it was. And as we journey through the text and pay close attention to it, I think we're going to see that. So uh, without further ado, let's uh, journey through the text together. This is Matthew five forty-three to 48. Jesus says this this to the crowds, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you. You may remember, if you're familiar with this text from other versions, persecute. It's really harassment. It's really bothering, irritating. And it can get worse, but it starts with harassment. This is how you will act like the children of your heavenly Father. For he makes his son, his, it's his son, rise over the evil and the good. And he sends his reign over the righteous and the unrighteous. Look, if you love those who love you, what reward is there for that? Don't even the tax collectors do the same stuff? And if you greet only your own people, what more are you doing? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? So then be mature, just like your heavenly father is mature. You may uh, remember from earlier translations, perfect. And that gets the sense of like, we have to be this 100% perfect person. Really, in the ancient world, that word did not mean perfect the way we think of perfect. It means like, like an adult, you know, someone who's grown up, who's complete, right? Be, be complete and grown up just as your heavenly father is complete. It's a, it's a crazy, um, it's a crazy text. Uh, if, if you're, if you're hearing it for the first time, I mean, uh, for me, what I think of is I'm like, okay, let's just say that, you know, I, I didn't join the military. I thought about it briefly. Uh, and, but imagine that, you know, you're in the trenches, and you're looking over, and there's the other guys, and you're aiming at them, and Jesus is like, love your enemy. And you're like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to pull this trigger. He says, pray for those who are harassing you. I'm being harassed by the enemy. And you might think, well... There, there's no way this, this text could have any place in the real world, right? Because in the real world, when enemies come after you, there's no way that you can uh, respond like that and survive. This is, it's a suicide teaching, right? Well, I think um, as we pay, really atten- uh, pay attention to the text, I think we're going to see that that's not actually the case. So let's look, at, um, look, let's look at it again. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. If you've been with us any length of time, you know that when Jesus uh, says, you have heard that it was said, he's talking about something from the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, something that all the people of Israel have thought of as their Bible for a really long time. And so naturally, as we've become accustomed, we can go back and we can find the place where Jesus says this. Well, it turns out 
We can find the place where the Old Testament says this. We, we, we find out when we look in the Old Testament, though, that it's not, it's not actually there. It's, only, it's close. It's close. This is as close as we get. This is Leviticus 19.18. It's part of the law, the law that God gives so that Israel knows how to, how to be um, like him. And it says this, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. When it says, I am Yahweh, it's like, this is who I am. This is my character. And so you're going to be like me. But who is the neighbor in this text? And maybe if we're listening, who's the enemy? Well, if you, if you just look at the way it's written, neighbor is the same thing as children of your people. Right? You shall, you shall not take vengeance. You don't bear any grudge. Against who? Against other Israelites. People who uh, live in this nation. Instead, you're going to love these other Israelites, your neighbors, as yourself. And so what God is saying is if you want to live the way I live, then you treat the people in your community this way. You don't, don't go after vengeance. Don't hold grudges. Instead, I want you to, to love them the same way you love yourself. But who is left out? The rabbis, was they, they received this teaching and they began to interpret it for, for Israel, they began to interpret it, they, they noticed something. It doesn't say anything in this text about foreigners, right? It doesn't say anything else about the Philistines and the Moabites and the Amorites and the Hittites and whomever, all these, the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the uh, Assyrians, all the people that are around Israel. It doesn't say anything about them. It only says something about how Israelites are supposed to treat each other, okay? And so what the rabbis did is they... they, they found that enemies around Israel were, would attack them and oppress them a lot. And, and they didn't want people to make a mistake. They didn't want people to think that they're supposed to treat, you know, Amorites and Hittites and Moabites and Egyptians and whomever else the same way you treat Israelites. No, you, you love your neighbor, but everybody else you hate, right? And so this became like a cute little saying, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, and really, talking about uh, the others, moves to the first thing in your, in your note sheet. In Jesus' day, neighbor meant faithful Israel, and enemy meant outside oppressors, such as Romans, Greco-Roman culture, corrupt elites. Notice I say faithful Israel. We talked a few weeks ago about how by the time of Jesus, the, the Jews even thought, thought of their own leaders as betraying them, because they were corrupt and they were collaborators with, with the Romans. They, they lived in this, this culture and a society where it used to be just us, and now there's invaders from every side who have different culture, different values, different beliefs, and not only that, they're after us to oppress and harass us. These are our enemies. Uh, let's um, go, go back to the text for a second here. It says, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you. Now, what we're used to thinking when we read this, again, because of English, we, uh, we, we, we immediately think about that one person at the office that we really, really hate. That person who's really out to get us. You know, you all know that person. In fact, if it, in, in, that person might be in the pew with you. But that's who, that's who we're talking about, right? Your enemies, right? The people who are hostile to you, after you. Okay, that's not it. Love your en- love your your enemies. Your your that is an all y'all. It's plural. Love all y'all's enemies. It's it's not just you know John's enemy and Dave's enemy and Sally's enemy and 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 Beryl's enemy. No, it's it's all y'all that are listening. And pray for those who harass you. You is not just. You know, Bill or Jim or Susie or whomever. No, it's, it's all y'all. Pray, pray for the ones who are after all y'all. 
Okay, this is not talking about the person down the hall that you don't like. Okay, this is talking about a class of people that you see as, as enemy or against your people. Okay, it's actually not that different from the situation we find ourselves in today in America due to the effects of globalization. In the ancient world, up until uh, about 400 years before Jesus came around, right, the only people who were in Israel were Israelites. Like, occasionally, like, somebody who'd been exiled from some other clan would travel into their land. But that was it. They were not used to seeing foreigners. When, uh, when I moved to Japan, one of the things I found very quickly is that wherever I went, people would be like, eh? They didn't even try to hide the fact that they were staring. Uh, sometimes I would be on a train, and like the little kids <laughs> who haven't been taught how to be polite, they would just run up and start rubbing my, my hair, and like, oh, you're furry like a bear, thinking, th- thinking that I couldn't understand what they were saying. I'm like, uh-huh, yes, yes I am. Uh, because most Japanese people had never seen, especially where I was, a redhead, they, they rarely saw white people. They rarely saw black people. They rarely saw Latino people. They only saw other Asians. And so they're like, eh? Now, this is something similar to to the, the ancient Near East and Palestine, where for about 400 years, people had been moving into Israel. Romans and Babylonians and Assyrians and Greeks and Egyptians. And to the point that we're in Israel right now, kind of like what we experience here in the, in the States, where there's little communities all over the land of Israel, where it's, it's, oh, that's where the, you know, the Greeks live. That's where the Roman garrison is. That's where the uh, Egyptian exiles are. And, and then, and, and then the Jews would kind of like stay in their own area. In fact, if you're reading the Gospels, there's times where Jesus actually makes a specific attempt to go to one of these places. Uh, there's a place called the Decapolis, the Ten Cities, where Jesus uh, c- casts out a-, a bunch of pig demons from this guy. He's going to a place where Gentiles live, where Gentile commerce is taking place. All not Jews. If you are living in a situation like that, sort of like we live now, you have your us group, you know, us, and then you venture out and you only interact with those others, uh, what, you know, when you go to, the, go to work, right? Um, you go to work and then there's people that are not your people, but you have to get along with them, and so everyone, you know, you don't talk about religion or politics, uh, you just talk about who's going to win, Pats or the, the, the Eagles, and everyone's cool with that, and nobody, nobody gets in each other's face, we, we just keep things on the surface, we don't really know them, that's them, we're us. It's very similar in the ancient Near East, very similar in Jesus' day. If we go on, I think, in the text here. Notice that Jesus, when he, when he talks about, when he brings out these examples, who's he bringing out examples of? Well, people that Jews thought of as their enemies. When Jesus says tax collectors, tax collectors are people who are complicit, collaborating with the Roman government to take money from good, honest, hardworking Jews and send it to the empire. They're bad guys. They're enemies. That's a group. We don't know any particular tax collector or other. We just think of them as them. And we're us. The same deal with Gentiles. Those people in the Decapolis, the city over there, that's them, we're us. The, uh, the next thing in your note sheets. By enemies, Jesus is referring to groups of people who, who we perceive to be hostile. Us versus them. Us versus them. If you want to know your enemy, start thinking about who you think of as them versus us. 
want to um, go back to the text. So Jesus says, all right, so if we're thinking in, that, in those terms of like who's the enemy, who's we, you know, us versus them. You have heard that it was said, love, you know, us and hate them. Okay? Well, I say to you, love them and pray for them. This is how you will act like the children of your heavenly father. Why? What is God like? Well, he's going to tell us. God makes his son rise over the evil and the good. He makes the sun rise over the Gentiles and the Jews. He sends rain over the righteous and the unrighteous. Sends rain to the Roman garrison and to your... Imagine how upsetting that might have been. No, really. This, uh, you might hear some contemporary concerns in, in uh, American politics right now. Uh, so you're Peter the fisherman, right? And Peter the fisherman makes his money by going out every morning early and putting down his nets and getting fish, and he goes to the market and he sells Right? And that's how he makes his living. That's how he survives. So one day, Peter lets down his nets. He gets a nice catch of fish. He goes to the market. He's used to getting, you know, a dollar fish, right? And suddenly they're like, hey, man, yeah, only 50 cents a fish today. Why? Because, uh, yeah, some new uh, Greek uh, fishermen are, are in the boat, and, they, and they've been fishing too. And so we've got twice as many fish to sell now. So I don't really need your fish as much. And then, uh, you know, James the farmer He's sitting there and he's growing his crops and he's used to getting a dollar per, you know, olive branch or whatever they, they make. Um, I think that's a thing. They think they had olives. All right. And a dollar for an olive, olive branch. And they go, he goes there, oh, only 50 cents for your olive branch today. Why? Because uh, the Roman settlement over there, they're growing olives too. And now we've got more olives and I don't need yours as much. And you can imagine being Peter or James and looking and going, God, They're bad. I'm decent. If you're going to let it rain, let it rain here and not there. If you are going to send sunshine to help things grow, send it here, send the clouds there. Why are you not doing that? Don't you care about us? Why are you acting like they matter too? Similarly, uh, I've been, um, once a year I go to uh, meetings for the Society of Biblical Literature, the American Academy of Religion, and they always take place in very large metropolitan areas. And so I've, what I've become accustomed to is that in the last five years, every time I've gone to one of these seminars, I get off the plane and I get a taxi to take to my hotel. And every single time, the driver of the taxi is a foreign-born immigrant to the United States. Now, you may have heard in the last, I don't know, year or two, a whole lot of concern, especially during the presidential nominations and elections, about the concern that, that they're stealing our jobs. And especially for the working classes in the United States of America, that's really true. It really is harder to get a job when there's a whole lot of people who are willing to, to take less money for it um, who want to be a part of the United States. And you can see how resentment develops, right? It makes a lot of sense Right? I love uh, getting to know my taxi drivers, but I'm aware of the fact that there are people out there who are mad that these taxi drivers are not born in America. I get that. I understand it. I don't think it's right, but I get it. Jesus is saying something very similar. He's like, I know that you're mad. I mean, the, the people in the United States are like, we need to protect America first, right? It needs to be American stuff, and then we'll worry about foreigners you know, that's kind of the us versus them mentality that's developed in, our, in some of our political uh, discussions. Something very similar is what Jesus is saying here. 
What's the logic? Why is it that God sends rain on the, on, on the bad guys? Why is it that God sends his sunlight? He could shine it wherever he wants, and he shines it on them too. Why does God do this? Apostle Paul in Romans writes this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I know, I know. You think that you're a good guy. They're the bad guys. In Romans 5, Paul kind of lumps us all in together. Jews, Gentiles, decent folks, and real criminals. Puts them all together. And says, guess what? You were all far off from God. You were all, from his perspective, his enemies. It was God versus y'all. And yet, in the midst of that, in the midst of that, out of his grace, he sent his son to save everybody. He, if you take the sun and the, and, the, and, the, and the rain metaphor, there was no sun, no, there was no good and, and bad, righteous. And, you were all awful. And God gives you sun and rain and his son, S-O-N son too. The Gospel of John, one of our foundational texts here at Coast. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. Why? Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God wasn't interested in, in, in letting you know what an enemy you are. That wasn't his plan to tell you, ah, you're terrible, here's why. Instead it was, I'm, I'm, I'm so in love with you, I'm so, I care so deeply about you, that I'm going to fully give myself to make it possible for us to be in relationship. Why does, why does God send you know, sunlight and rain even to those dirty folks? Because God wants to, he's, his, he's trying to create space for them to be in relationship with him too. There is no us and them with God. There's us and those that we hope will become us at a future date. Interesting. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. It's interesting, God, God sets it out and says, I don't want, I don't want anybody to be, to be condemned. Um, but there are some who, who have this generous offer from God. God sends his son, his reign, his S-O-N son, Jesus Christ, hands it all over, and, and they're, they're like, eh, no thanks. And God's okay with that. He leaves the offer on the table. If you want to be a part, you can. But he's not going to force you or twist your arm. I think the, the next thing uh, in your note sheets... God's grace makes it possible for anyone to come into relationship with him. If you want to be the children of your heavenly father, if you want to be like him, have the same kind of character, recognize that he is always going out from himself to gather and to make it possible for anybody to come to him. He's not interested in enemies remaining enemies. He's not interested in them always being them. He wants them to become us. Okay, so then what are we going to do? So uh, Heaven heaven Prep Academy, uh, prepare for heaven, flourish now, transforming initiative, one simple practice you can do right here. You make a habit of it and you will be conformed into the image of Christ. You will be ready for heaven. You're going to flourish now. What is it? What is it that Jesus tells us to do? Well, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you. 
I was trying to think about how to make this real, like how to, how to think of like somebody or some group of people that we would all agree are the enemy. That's hard because we have people from every part of the political spectrum here. We have people at every you know, level of faith here. We got, it was really difficult to come up with one group of people we can all agree they're the bad guys. The Russians. <laughs> right? Nobody likes the Russians. Okay, all right, John and Pat like the Russians. All right, well, just imagine for a second that you didn't. I'm sorry, it's, it's difficult. It's, it's hard to figure out who them is. But it's crazy because, I mean, I, I, didn't, I wasn't even aware of the Cold War. The Berlin Wall came down in 89, but apparently the Russians are bad guys again. I've been hearing on the news for like the last two years that they're like meddling with the United States elections and they've co-opted our president and made him their slave. And this is crazy. Those, those dirty ruskies. It's like, gosh, we better start doing duck and cover again in case nuclear war hits. I'm telling you, it's weird. Okay. It's just all for the sake of argument, say, Jesus wants us to love the Russians and pray for them. Okay. What would that look like? So I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay. I'm going to start praying for the Russians. Like, dear God, I pray that they have a really great potato harvest. Because don't the, I mean, do the Russia? I think they grow potatoes in Russia. That's a thing, right? Isn't that what they make vodka out of? Potatoes? Okay, dear Lord, I pray, I pray, God, that um, they'll build more of those cool buildings that have like the little like woo thing at the top. In the, because those are neat. I pray that nobody else gets sent to the gulag. Because do they still do the gulag in Russia? Is that a thing? Okay, my, my point is this. My problem with praying for the Russians is that I don't know the first thing about Russians. The Russians are as far away from, like, you know, anything I know about as anything else. I can't, I'm, I don't think, I think I've maybe met, like, three in my life. Um, I can think of one that I, one person who was born in Russia that I see on a kind of regular basis. But I, I don't know anything about the Russians. The only thing I know is that apparently they've taken over our president's mind and they're meddling with our elections and they're trying to start a nuclear war and take over the Ukraine. That's all I know about them. And I'm not even sure that stuff's true. And Jesus says, love your... So I'm like, okay, I'm going to love the Russians. Okay, now remember, love, if you've been with us any length of time, you know that love is both affection, you know, that you genuinely... Or have affection for somebody, and you're out for their good. Concrete practices, things that you can do to make their lives better. Okay, Jesus is like, Tom, love the Russians. Like, uh, I guess I could, like, send them a letter? Like, I mean, I hope they can read English, because I don't speak Russian. Oh, you know what? Maybe I could, I I do like that, um, their 19th century literature. The Brothers Karamazov, great book. I could tell them that I like that. That would be a nice way to... My point is, if you asked me to love the Russians, there would be no way for me to do that. Why? Because I don't know the first thing about Russians. I don't know any Russians. They're, they're out there. They're, they're them. And I'm us. 
Jesus teaching here, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you. It's actually like him, him uh, get, getting ready because, you know, you're in the crowd there and, he's, and he says this and immediately you're thinking of that, that Roman soldier or that tax collector who's always gouging you um, or that Roman soldier who's always kicking you in the butt and you're sitting there being like, gosh, I don't even know his name. I have no idea where he lives. I don't know anything about that dude. How am I supposed to love him? we go to the uh, the next slide this is crazy and it's true you can hate someone or even a class of people that you don't know but you cannot love them you can hate them but you cannot love them because you don't know them they're something that you've created in your head honestly You've projected a whole lot of stuff on them. Some of it may be true, some of it may not, but you certainly aren't going to be able to love them until you start to get to know them. One of the things that's uh, difficult is that as human beings, we are we're hardwired uh, to think of the world as us and them. That's just how we think. So, you know, for those of us who've been in this church for a long time, us is us. You know? And them is whoever else. For those who are like diehard Democrats, us is Democrats, them is Republicans, and vice versa. But how many do you know? How many do you know well enough to love? How many do you know well enough to pray for? Um, I just, I've been thinking about this because uh, it's hard to say, you know, it's hard to jump into everyone's mind here and try and figure out who your enemy is. So I, these are just some suggestions of possible, possible enemies you may or may not have. Um, it, but really it's an, it's an attempt to identify the who do you think of as they or them. And so you can answer that question to your, for yourself. It might actually be hard to answer because you might, it just might not be something that you actually think about very much. You just assume they're bad, you're good, and you just ignore them or you, what, and it may be actually difficult. So I have a couple of suggestions, people, uh, groups of people that I think might be um, enemies for us. And I hope that it'll give us a chance to actually begin to think critically about this and really to take that step to go out and get to know one of your enemies. And really try to find someone who is your enemy and decide, I'm going to see if there's something I can really enjoy about this person. I'm going to see if I can get to know them well enough that I can pray for them, that I understand the things that matter to them enough that I can begin to, to beseech God to do good things for them, that I can come up with actual ways that I can make their lives a little better. And I suggest to you that that's um, the basis of evangelism. That's what evangelism is. So here we go. Get to know your enemy. Secularists, anti-Christians, new atheists. If you're confused by the new in in parentheses, it used to be that atheists in in America were like, let us be atheists and don't bother us. We're like, okay. Now the new atheists, um, like Richard Dawkins, for example, they're, they're not just atheists. They're like, you need to be an atheist too. You know, like, it's not just enough that you let me believe in nothing. You also need to believe in nothing. They're like evangelical atheists. They're preaching the gospel of atheism. They're like, guess what? Nothing matters. Yay! 
You can see how someone like that might be, might be uh, for us, be like, mm, <laughs> a little bit of a them category. Or just people who don't even care about religion, secularists. I mean, there's lots of those in our culture right now. People who just don't even pay attention to the fact that there may or may not be a God. It doesn't matter. What they think about is the here and now, this life. People who are hostile to Christianity. Th- these are like primary thems, especially for churchgoers. For people like, uh, for people like us, who, those of us who are regular churchgoers, these might be a category. Here's my question. How many atheists do you know? How many atheists do you really know? How many secularists do you really know? I know a couple people um, in this congregation who I think are really, really good at getting to know atheists and secularists. Um, I don't see Linnea here today, but Linnea is gifted at her. Linnea Goebel, if you know her, she, she is able to get to know people that are actively hostile to what she believes and get to know them and love them and hear their stories and not judge them, but at the same time, like, be really solid about who she is and what she stands for. It's impressive. Another group that may be them, social justice warriors. Does anyone know what a social justice warrior is? Very few of you, okay. All right, social justice warriors are people typically on the cultural left who um, typically uh, are very hostile to what we might think of as traditional Christian values. And hostile in the sense that they want to destroy it, it seems like. They want to destroy a lot of stuff that maybe a lot of us hold dear. Uh, so it tends to be people who are strongly, um, you know, violently, viciously advocating um, LGBTQIA plus um, concerns, people who are viciously uh, um, pro-choice, uh, people who, just people who are against um, maybe what we would think of as, as traditional type Christian values. And with the advent of the internet, uh, they get to blast uh, their opinions. And so you may only encounter them on Facebook and you're like, man, I can't stand that person and all their friends. They're nuts. They're always posting something that bothers me about whatever. Um, and, and it might be time you know, take the first step, reach out, and get to know them. Uh, Most of the time, at least in my experience, uh, people who tend toward the social justice warrior end of the spectrum are people who have been really hurt by some stuff. And what ends up happening is that hurt turns into bitterness, uh, and that bitterness uh, grows and festers. And uh, it can be really, really uh, detrimental, really, really dangerous. But man, a, a lot of them maybe just need just, just for you to start to get to know them. Uh, yes, different culture, and you might even say different religion. This one's a passion for me because we tend to think of them as, oh, man. So I, I lived in Japan for a couple of years, and so I, I'm very cognizant of what it's like to be in a different culture and to really have those us and them type feelings. Um, I watched this movie. It's a documentary. It was made in uh, 1944 by Frank Capra, who was a famous, he did It's a Wonderful Life. That's a famous movie. Frank Capra, he did this documentary during World War II, and it's called Know Your Enemy, Japan. It's a propaganda film. It's really good. Uh, I was watching it, and um, it's crazy. Like, he, he takes all these shots of, like, stuff that for Westerners would look really crazy. Like, when the Japanese get up into their, like, their weird hats, and they've got their samurai swords, and they're dancing around. So, stuff where you, you as, as a Westerner, you look at it, and you're like, eh? That's, that's like, that's not even human. Oh, a lot easier to kill somebody who's not even human. 
60, 70 years ago, we were firebombing Tokyo and dropping A-bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now, uh, Japan's become a very close ally and, and friend to the United States. These things can be overcome. But I think um, what, what, what's interesting is I was watching this, this documentary and, I, and I, I even felt like there was so much truth in what was actually being said. I mean, I live there, I know. That, uh, that it, it, it very be- quickly became clear that it, in order to win a war, it was going to have to be kind of scorched earth policy. And, and uh, it's interesting, it's worth thinking about the fact that Jesus is not talking about how to win or lose wars. Okay? He's not talking about um, what you do when you're in the trenches and the other guy's over there and you're like, I'm praying for you, brother, as you put a bullet in his head. That's not where Jesus is at. What Jesus is, is saying is he's like, if you're in a situation, you're not in war, you're, you're, you're just caught up in this, in this life where it's always us and always them and you're constantly viciously at each other's throats and there's just hatred going on. He's saying what you ought to do in order to stop that cycle is step out and it's okay if it doesn't work. It's okay if that person or that group doesn't accept you. You don't have to sit there and let them hit you over and over and over again. You, you, all you have to do is do exactly what God did in Christ. Give an opening, an opening to say, let's be, let's cross over. Let's, let's try to love and, and, and try to find ways to pray for you. I'm just offering that. And if they say no over and over and over again, it's okay to walk away. You don't have to sit there and keep loving your enemies until you're, until you're dead. Because that's what would happen if you took this 100% literally. It's okay to, to just leave the offer on the table. Say, hey, I'm willing to get to know and love you. Are you interested? Is that not kind of what I mean? we saw in, in the Gospel of John? God did not want to condemn the world, but to save the world through his Son. And those who believe, they're saved. And they're not condemned. And those who don't believe, they are condemned. They're, 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 they're not interested. That's okay. You don't have to go nuts trying to get people to love you. Just make the offer. I mean, how few times in life does anyone actually step out and make the offer? I think what I was saying there is uh, basically, like, I get it. In World War II, you're not supposed to, like, try and love all the Japanese people that you're fighting. Nor are they trying to love us. Uh, that's a different situation. And then when, when, when war is not on the table, when, it, when it's just groups who, who see us and them, that's when you can begin to, like, you know, make, like, cross over. Okay, yes, next. Cultural elites. Uh, yeah, the, I, the, the fat cats. The corporations. The academics. I'm an academic. Did you know that uh, 10 per, only 10% of academics in the United States of America believe in God? Yeah, that's a good fact. Uh, and isn't, doesn't it feel kind of like sometimes they're, and we're, okay. And uh, this one's the, probably the most important. There are probably some people here who have been uh, burned by Christians. You, uh, Thanks for coming, by the way. (laughs) That's probably not easy. Uh, There are people who... The only thing they know about Christians is that Christians are intolerant. We're bigots. Um, We're holier than thou. Uh, We've um, judged them for whatever in the past, and we live, you know, and we're self-righteous. If that is uh, who you think Christians are, 
Give us a chance. Right? Just give me a chance. <laughs> uh, I, I, um, we're not all like that all the time. In fact, uh, there are a lot of us who really do just believe that um, God is a God of grace and that not one of us is right and figured it out and that all of us are dependent on his love and his forgiveness um, to get through the day. If you are a long-time Christian, other Christians might be your them. Folks who uh, believe a little different than you do, um, maybe who've told you that the way you believe is wrong. I'll tell you what, as much as sometimes other Christians bother me, and that's a lot, uh, I feel like I have a lot more in common with them than I do <laughs> with uh, you know, those cultural elites that we were just talking about. Hey, the bottom line is, is this. Um, you, you can hate someone you don't know, but you can't love them. When Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you, he's inviting you to start to get to know somebody that's far off from you. He's inviting you to, like, to, to take a step of faith and see what it might be like to get into a relationship with this person, to see if there's something that you could love or pray for about this person. If you begin to do this over and over, if you make a habit of stepping out and getting to know them and, and hopefully maybe even getting them to become us, you will be the kind of person who is ready for heaven. Because in heaven, there is no us in them. It's all us in heaven. And moreover, you're going to be the kind of person who flourishes now because you're going to be the kind of person who isn't caught up in cycles of hate and rejection. You're going to be the kind of person who's open and welcoming in the same way that God himself is open and welcoming. And that might hurt you from time to time, but it is a place of peace. It is a place of true, genuine spiritual satisfaction. You can't love the ones you don't know. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, um, I pray that you'll prick the hearts um, of all of us here. That we will recognize our thems, our theys. That we will uh, have the courage and the, and the endurance and the fortitude and the, the initiative to, to start to step out and get to know them. God, I pray that as that happens, uh, your spirit will stir up uh, affection Genuine love. That we will begin to know our enemies well enough to start to pray for them. To start to see how your work is, is going to be in their lives. And God, in that, I pray that you will make them us. That you will draw them to come and trust you and to become us. God, we... Uh, predicate all on this, on the fact that, that you did the same thing to us, that when we were far off, um, you sent Christ to draw us near. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That you did not come to s condemn the world, but through your son to save it. In his name we pray, amen.